Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you are celebrating out there in the world. <laughs> uh, we're also looking forward to 2021, I think. Uh, it's been a heck of a year, uh, 2020 has, so it's good to have a celebration at the end here, right? Absolutely. And you can see we tried to get into the Christmas spirit a little bit with our virtual backgrounds here. Um, Jackson's got his awesome Santa Claus hat on, so we are celebrating full swing here at the Digital Ag Team. Exactly. And <laughs> even though I'm in Dothan, Alabama, where we have 60 degree weather right now, uh, I get to have a little bit of white Christmas in my virtual background. Yeah, you don't need to rub in the nice weather uh, to the rest of us <laughs> who still have snow on the ground, but uh, glad you are uh, made it safely home and get to celebrate with your family. Absolutely. It's exciting. And I hope everybody is able to do some celebrating with their family this year. Um, you know, in, in spite of everything that's going on with, with COVID-19, um, I hope that people are being safe, but also are, you know, taking the time. Family is a valuable, valuable, valuable resource for us. And I hope everybody is able to find some time for family during the holidays this year. Absolutely. And also, if you find yourself traveling, we hope that you tune in to some of our previous episodes while do you have some of that drive time. Yep. They're, they're, <laughs> uh, they're great ways to fill your time and also make great use of it by learning about digital ag uh, and some of the things that are uh, either already here and that we need to make better use of or some of the things that are on the horizon uh, and may make an impact on agriculture here uh, in 2021 and beyond. So, And so speaking of digital ag, we're going to dive into our topic today. It's something a little bit unique, but when you think about Christmas and you think about Christmas trees, something you may not have thought of is where those trees came from or the technology that was needed to produce them. 100%. And Christmas tree production uh, is actually uh, something that a lot of universities extension programs focus on. There are a lot of Christmas tree growers out there, a lot more than I <laughs> realized. Um, and they are starting to get into this, this digital ag approach. And kind of how we got to the idea of this episode is through finding an article online from North Carolina State Extension uh, that was talking about UAVs and Christmas trees. Uh, and we'll post a link to that article in the show notes. Um, but I thought it was a super interesting article. Didn't you, Sam? I did too. It was, yeah, something we don't think about, even though we use UAVs in our research, we don't necessarily think about how they're used other places. And, you know, I say other places, but really there's actually 50 uh, Christmas tree growers, at least in Nebraska too. So um, we may not be the top producing state of Christmas trees, but we do have some uh, farmers here in Nebraska that are providing that for us. Yeah, and you can find your Christmas tree uh, producer there locally if you want to go and get a real Christmas tree this year uh, and support some of your your local farmers. Uh, there's actually a kind of a directory of those Nebraska Christmas tree growers that's offered, I believe, by the Nebraska Christmas Tree Growers Association uh, online, uh, and it's basically through Nebraska.gov. So um, that's a good opportunity for you to find your local Christmas tree growers. Uh, and so beyond Nebraska. There's a lot of Christmas tree production in other areas of the United States. Uh, Oregon is the number one Christmas tree producing state. North Carolina is number two. And overall, the industry is a $250 million industry in the United States. Wow. That's, yeah, it's a very high value crop. And uh, what's interesting or what we found was actually that production has been down uh, within the last few years. Uh, 
we actually found a statistic on it that's dropped more than 25% uh, between 2002 and 2017. But there's also some good news that in 2020, when people were at home and were spending more time with uh, their, in their houses, a lot more people actually went out and bought Christmas trees, real Christmas trees. Yeah, and there, there's actually a New York Times article, uh, kind of an interactive article that came out uh, yesterday uh, on the 17th of December um, from a Canadian Christmas tree farm. Uh, I believe it was in Ontario, but I'll have to double check that. But either way, um, they said that they're having their best year that they've ever seen uh, mm -hmm. right now. And I don't know if that's because more people are taking the time to you know, really invest in Christmas trees this year with less, I don't know, busyness with, with COVID and everything. But that's pretty exciting to see, I guess, for Christmas tree growers out there. I would agree. Jackson, do you get a real Christmas tree? So I do not. Uh, <laughs> I think I would if I was uh, actually going to be in my own apartment there in Lincoln for <laughs> Christmas. Uh, but since I'm back here in, in, in Dothan, uh, we have an artificial Christmas tree at my house. Uh, and quite honestly, my parents are just about done with it uh, because it's one of the pre-lit Christmas trees that mm. supposedly makes everything very easy. Um, but when the lights go out and certain sections of the Christmas tree don't work, uh, it can be a little bit frustrating because it's like, well, why, why didn't we just go ahead and get a regular Christmas tree and string our own lights, you know? All right. So in a couple of years when you get a real one, then you'll realize though they can be a lot of work, but it's definitely, uh, it's nice to have their house smell like a real Christmas tree. It's worth it. Yeah. Right. So we get a Christmas, a real Christmas tree at my parents' house. Uh, but it's one just from our own farm. I have not been to a really nice Christmas tree farm before. It's very interesting to see some of these pictures. Well, it's kind of nice to have a uh, kind of a resource there on your farm to be able to just go and get your own Christmas tree. Do you string your own lights? Yeah. Yep. Any special ornaments that you like to put on your Christmas tree? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, our family gets an ornament every year from my grandparents. And then I also get an ornament from my parents every year. So I just have like this timeline of ornaments across uh, a part of the tree that I get to call my own. Uh, and then, you know, my siblings all have uh, ornaments on the trees as well. What about you? That's, that's really cool. Yeah, we, we've kind of, we used to have uh, an ornament tradition. Uh, my mom was a big, well, so we were big Star Wars fans growing up. And then also <laughs> my mom was a big Gone with the Wind fan. Uh, fan. Uh, and so we used to get a Gone with the Wind ornament uh, every time a new one came out. And so we have a bunch of those uh, that go on the tree. Obviously, we have a ton of commemorative uh, ornaments from when uh, my brother and I were little. Um, and there are plenty of Star Wars ornaments. So yeah. <laughs> We have a ton of ornaments. We've gotten a lot uh, worse at decorating the Christmas tree as, as the kids have gotten older, um, meaning me and my brother. So, you know, we're not around to help decorate anymore, which can slow things down quite a bit. Yeah, my, uh, you know, because we just get a tree from our own farm, uh, my dad sometimes threatens to not get one. And we've got a couple of years without a tree, <laughs> uh, but we always, you know, you make the most of it. And it's so fun to get all those decorations out and reminisce uh, about those things. So, yeah, hopefully yeah. your family, every, you know, family out there is able to do those things more this year. Hopefully have more time. I hope so. And, and I think, Christmas trees are one of those traditions, right? That, that have so many family ties to them. And really a lot of Christmas tree production is done by families that have had Christmas tree farming, uh, in their history for, you know, decades and generations now. 
Um, and so there are a lot of kind of smaller operations. Like when you think of the scale of row crop agriculture in Nebraska, for example, it's not uncommon to have, a, you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 acre farm. <laughs> and when you think about Christmas tree production, it's really, you know, you're really thinking a lot smaller scale. Like there are going to be some farms that are less than a hundred acres out there that are, you know, able to sustain themselves pretty well because it is such a high value crop. So with the, with them being so high value, uh, there is a lot of investment that goes into it up front. So when you think about how much you may have to invest on a one acre basis, uh, Penn State kind of throughout this number, uh, and I think this is from a, <clears throat> I think a 2012 article that Penn State had, it would take between eleven dollars and $12,000 to pay for the seedlings to plant on one acre of uh, Christmas, Christmas tree production land, um, which is quite an upfront investment. That is a huge upfront investment. And you would think about how a lot of people may think that you just plant it and forget about it, but that's really not the case. You know, something that we learned was, um, you know, from that same article, they talked about how there can be, you know, six to seven spray applications a year. Um, so that's inputs just like we have on our corn and soybean farms as well that you're thinking about, but now think about it in the long term, uh, multiple years on the same plant. Yeah, because it may be seven to 12 years before you're really able to harvest that tree, right? It's got to get to the right height. Uh, it needs to be the right maturity to where the the aesthetics of the tree uh, are correct. Because that, that's really what a lot of people are purchasing on, right, is the aesthetics mm -hmm. um, of the tree. And so so there's a ton that goes into it. And I, I want to go ahead and make this statement up front. Neither Sam or I are experts <laughs> on Christmas tree production. We've simply been been learning and have been fascinated, I think, with exactly what all goes into it. I mean, I was watching a video this morning uh, of people shearing Christmas trees uh, and, and exactly how that process is done. And it was super interesting. So, yeah. And it's so hard for us to imagine. I think, you know, seven to 12 years, you know, and if you plant a crop, uh, corn or soybeans or a row crop where, you know, you plant it and it's a rough year, the conditions maybe weren't well, you move on to the next year, but then try to imagine that with a crop that you need year after year and how one bad year could have an influence on multiple years crop. Um, it's just very hard to get your mind wrapped around that investment. So, so trying to match uh, really the issue there, right. Is trying to match the supply with the demand, right? Because if, if you don't have your Christmas trees one year, because the ones that you had harvested somehow were, you know, there was some mistake that was made in the production process. Then all of a sudden you're going to have a lot of people that are unable to buy a Christmas tree from you. And maybe they're not going to return. Maybe they go to the different Christmas tree farm down the road that does have trees. So that's a, that's a huge impact. And also how are you supposed to have an idea of what people are wanting to shop for? Seven to 12 years <laughs> out from when you're actually going to sell the product. Right. I mean, we had no idea seven years ago that we were going to have a pandemic in 2020 and that the demand for trees would be up. So, um, yeah, it's very hard to think about that demand. And, and trying to match up that demand is just one of the challenges that Christmas tree farmers face. Another one is, is disease. Um, and interestingly enough, so there, there are some other diseases out there. There are some needle related diseases that just kind of, you know, lead to yellowing of leaves, which affect the aesthetics. Um, but then there's, there's an even more serious disease that we may be familiar with called phytophthora root rot, right, Sam? Absolutely. Yeah. You may see that out in your soybeans, but who would have thought it also affects trees? 
Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's basically spread via spores. Uh, and it's really prevalent, uh, within depressions, uh, on these Christmas tree farms. Yeah. So any of you guys who have ever had Phytophthora, you know, it's in cold and wet conditions that you see it a lot. And so same thing, uh, with trees. And so how to manage for that is very interesting. Uh, You know, if it were to wipe out all of your seedlings one year, (laughs) you won't have trees 12 years from now. Exactly. And it's, it's especially challenging with Christmas tree production, right? Because Christmas trees are uh, a type of tree that really does, uh, or at least a lot of the varieties that are grown as Christmas trees are varieties that do not like to have wet feet, so to speak. They, mm-hmm. they really want drier soil. And so a lot of Christmas tree farms are built on slopes to help with some of that runoff. And they, they like really rocky terrain, right, Sam? Yeah, our understanding is that they um, are often planted on slopes and like you said, rocky terrain, because they need to have well, one, the one the good drainage, but also, you know, their roots have to be able to get a lot deeper than maybe, you know, our corn uh, plants do. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they're often planted on slopes, which presents a lot of other challenges as well. <laughs> yeah, and especially, uh, I guess I'm thinking about drought, for example. So if you've got a slope, a lot of that water is going to want to run down to the bottom, where's probably where you're going to have a lot of the issues with disease, Mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, if it's dry, it's going to be a real challenge. That's right. And we also think about how, you know, well, the water interactions then affect nutrient interactions or how that slope then, you know, influences the movement of nutrients. And um, so that's something, you know, that we can all relate to, but maybe didn't think about for your trees. Exactly. Um, and so a few other issues that Christmas tree producers run into um, that you may not think about in row crop production, theft and vandalism are actually two things that you have to apparently worry about in Christmas tree production, which I guess I was very surprised about. I'd agree. I'm sure it comes with the territory of being a high value crop. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about something coming into your cornfield and stealing a bunch of the ears of corn, but uh, <laughs> apparently, you know, the high value crop, it is a concern. Yeah. And then one of the last ones that was uh, kind of listed in, in the articles that we found uh, about Christmas tree production uh, is fire. Uh, and I know seeing in the news, all the West coast fires that we had this year, and even not just on the West coast, but in Colorado and and Western Nebraska, Mm -hmm. even, um, fires were a really big deal. And with Oregon being the top Christmas tree producing state, they might've gotten really, really hit hard by those fires. Maybe that's why, uh, demand is up in Canada. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah. We may have to, may have to be shipping some, uh, down here across the border, Mm -hmm. um, But this kind of brings us to the real topic we wanted to get to today. Uh, You know, we're a digital ag podcast. And so North Carolina State uh, and Michigan State are two universities that we've found in just our our short reading for this episode that are starting to explore UAV usage in Christmas trees. Uh, And some of the areas that they're they're working on that in are inventory management um, and crop height measurements are kind of the first two kind of steps in the, in the direction of u- using UAVs in Christmas tree production that we've, we've heard of. Mm-hmm. And we tried to set the stage of the challenge of managing Christmas trees that, you know, if they're grown on slopes, you can imagine walking and trying to scout per se, uh, these trees to see how their height is or, um, how many you have to sell this year. You could think about how, if you could get a UAV out there to take a picture, um, that would help 
make that prediction for you or that estimation for you, how that would save on your time and your labor uh, and your stress, I'm sure as well. So, yeah. And, and depending on how your, uh, how your Christmas tree crop is planted, right? You may have very narrow rows, which means you have to have a much narrower wheelbase tractor in order to get around, you know, using any equipment. Uh, so there, there's a lot of rollover risk there, especially if you're on a slope. Uh, and so there are a lot of safety concerns out there for folks too, that UAVs may be able to, able to help with. And let's talk about this, how they're doing the inventory management. It's, am I correct that they are, you know, they're taking multiple pictures and, you know, they're, it doesn't do a great job of showing, it doesn't look like a Christmas tree per se. It looks kind of just like a little mound out there or a haystack or a, a yeah. shrub. Uh, but using some models, they can actually then estimate the height of the tree, what the point of that tree is to try to do those height estimations. Yeah, exactly. And, and this requires some manual on the ground work of going out and getting those those true heights, right? And then also building the algorithm on the back end that is able to identify, okay, we, we know that there's a point to this tree, but as you <laughs> mentioned, it's a haystack error. So you've kind of just got this rounded <laughs> off top. And so that you kind of have to tie those boots on the ground measurements to what the stitched images are reporting. Um, and so North Carolina State is, is really trying to do a lot of work uh, in that area right now. And, and from what I understand and conversations that we had with, uh, with Jeff Owen there at uh, North Carolina State Extension heading into this episode, they're starting to make some headway uh, and they're able to, you know, get pretty close on these crop height measurements uh, and even get, you know, good counts of Christmas trees that are ready to harvest. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's really interesting. You know, you'd think it'd be something fairly simple, but it's really a complex thing. And it's cool to hear that the universities are doing research on it. Yeah. And from what I understand, the UAVs are not the simplest to fly on these really slopey <laughs> terrains, right? Because we know from flying a fixed wing drone that there can be warnings at times, even when the drone is, is nowhere close to the ground about ground proximity warnings. And so actually planning flights to uh, be prepared for the slopes uh, that are that are going to change quite frequently on Christmas tree farms is apparently a, a challenge within uh, UAV use and Christmas tree production. Yeah. And we have enough challenges how it is in Nebraska, keeping our drone out of trees, lines, and out of other obstacles. So I can't imagine flying a drone around all these trees. And I'm sure they have to fly fairly low too. So um yeah, they have a lot harder of a time than we do, but it's very interesting. Yeah, and it can be very useful. I guess a few other uses that they've uh, that Jeff was telling me about when I talked to him uh, was that they're they're looking at using UAVs for disease detection. So actually being able to figure out which trees are infected with, for example, uh, needle cast disease or phytophthora root rot, uh, and being able to track how that spreads on a farm and potentially even how to how to manage that. Absolutely. And then it also sounds like they're using it for some site-specific pest management, or maybe that's more coming in the future. Maybe it's just being explored right now, but that would be really exciting as well, as well as nutrient management. So that's how we use it in our research. Um, but it's cool to see it in other crops as well, uh, especially Christmas trees. And then it, it could be used for other things as well, kind of like a scouting tool, right? Exactly. Um, you know, just kind of identifying, um, 
some different site selection aspects, maybe going in and figuring out where you want to harvest trees first, uh, just kind of tying back to that disease element, right? If you have disease that you can see spreading in a particular area of your farm, there are probably some trees that are right there near, near it that maybe haven't been infected yet that you want to go ahead and, and harvest while they're still of value. Uh, mm -hmm. so that's, that's one other way that, um, I think these drones can be used. Um, it's just, it's super cool to me to think about a drone flying through, uh, you know, a Christmas tree farm uh, and really being able to get right up onto a tree and say, if only one tree really needs this, this fungicide treatment or this pesticide treatment, um, especially in the environmental context that we're in now where we have, you know, organics being such a popular thing, being able to go in and just spray one uh, Christmas tree instead of doing a blanket application on the whole farm is a kind of a, a really cool opportunity, I think. Absolutely. Both from a marketing aspect, but also saving, you know, the bottom line of the farmer too, if they don't have to spend as much on a herbicide because it's only, or a pesticide because it's only affecting a handful of trees and they know where those trees are, how much money that could be saving as well. Yeah. And, and on, on top of just, you know, only doing it on one tree, also making it more uh, efficacious, right. For mm -hmm. that particular tree, because one of the issues, uh, according to Jeff, that they currently have, right. Is when they're making their pesticide applications right now, they're relying on a lot of drift and, and for things that are sprayed a while uh, or quite a distance away from the rest of the farm to get to those trees. But you really don't get great penetration into the tree canopy uh, with those products. But with a drone, you can get close enough to the tree and hopefully with enough spraying power that you should be able to get deep into that canopy and really take care of the problem, which ultimately is going to get you better bang for your buck with that product. Absolutely. So yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity to use digital technology in this, you know, specialty crop. And uh, it's very there, interesting. Hopefully we can see some of that being applied to us as well. Yeah. And, and I think really a problem that we have out here in Nebraska that may uh, have some, there may be an impact area for some of these technologies for us is with Eastern Red Cedar management, right, Sam? Absolutely. So some of you listeners probably even know better than I do about the problem that we have with Eastern red cedars. And, you know, it's something that started, you know, decades ago when we were planting it for windbreaks, and then it just became such an invasive tree and really just took over. And so now it's hurting rangeland, it's hurting livestock production, just because it's hurting the, um, you know, the grazing quality or the grass, grassland quality. And so we got to start thinking about creative ways to start managing this. And one of the biggest things I would imagine is figuring out where your biggest problems are, right? So figuring out where the greatest density of trees are. And so some of that inventory management aspect um, and even identifying a, a red cedar from a different type of tree, potentially, if it's, if it's near another tree line uh, that may be expanding into land that you don't want it to get to, um, I think those are some really, really big aspects of this to try to target some of that management for Eastern red cedars. Absolutely. You have to know how big the problem is before you can really start to treat it. And, you know, maybe it's also just prioritizing, right? So if you think about some of the management is with burning or um, some of it's out manually cutting it down, uh, you really have to target the worst areas first. And so knowing where that is using UAVs uh, could be really beneficial as well as, you know, the future technology of can we treat them with UAVs? Can we right. uh, start fires? Can we uh, do spray applications with UAVs. I think that's down the road, but very interesting yep. to think about. Even, tra <laughs> even tracking like how, how 
good of a job we did with those management practices, seeing if two years down the road, uh, any of those trees are, are still hanging around or if any new trees have, have sprung up in that same area and being able to figure out, okay, did this management practice actually work for me in this, in this application? Mm-hmm. And hopefully these are all things that we can learn from the Christmas tree industry. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> that'd be really cool to see. And if you do want to learn a little bit more about Eastern Red Cedar management, uh, we do have some experts at UNL, uh, one of whom is, is Direct Twidwell uh, over in the agronomy and horticulture department. Uh, Dr. Direct Twidwell would be a great resource, uh, and I'm sure he would love for you to reach out uh, with any questions that you might have about uh, Eastern Red Cedar management. So I, I guess, you know, with that said, we'll go ahead and, and start wrapping up here because it's Christmas and uh, I think we all want to go enjoy a little bit more Christmas. Um, but I think it's been really fun to talk about Christmas trees and learn a little bit more about what all goes into Christmas tree production. That's all right. So next time when you look at your Christmas tree, you'll probably be thinking about some of the fun facts, hopefully that we shared with you. Uh, and yeah, you may not look at your artificial or real tree the same again. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know for me, uh, there's a ton more that goes into Christmas tree production than I really thought. And I know that not everybody out there is uh, that's a Christmas tree grower is using these digital technologies right now. But even all the manual labor that goes into making sure that these trees uh, stay healthy uh, and aesthetically pleasing for you know seven to twelve years is really impressive. Um, and I do want to support. Uh, that industry. And so I'm definitely going to be looking, uh, looking more to getting a real Christmas tree here in the future. Yeah. I, yeah, just learning about any type of crop that is grown so differently than uh, the typical crops in Nebraska is, is very cool to see. And you think about their lifestyles of uh, that huge investment uh, is very interesting. At the end of the day, no matter how different our production scenarios are like, we're all kind of in the agriculture industry together. And I think that's something that's, that's so cool to see. Um, cause everybody has their own challenges to deal with and everybody loves doing it, you know, just as much as, as the next person, everybody loves what they're doing. It seems like. And we hope that digital ag could help. Absolutely. So <laughs> with that, that is the conclusion of this Farm Bits episode. We hope that you'll join us next week. We're going to dive into uh, some of what happened in 2020 uh, and kind of provide a review of how that impacted digital ag in 2020 uh, and maybe even talk a little bit about where we're going in 2021. Absolutely. So I hope you join us next week and we hope you have a safe and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. See you next time. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can also be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits. Thank you.